If you have a Bible with you, can you please open up to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Um, every week at Summer Grace Church, we open the Bible because we believe the Bible is God's Word. It's not just a word. It's not just a good word. It's God's very Word, His authoritative Word, and we want to sit under it. And so that's what we do every week is we just go through a text of Scripture and see what God has to say to us. And then as Christians, we live based on what God says. It's kind of simple. The Christian life is simple. <laughs> Read what God says and do it um, through Jesus Christ. So that's what we do each week. And we decided as we started this church that we do a sermon series based off um, this idea in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, see, the Apostle Paul was planting churches and strengthening churches and trying to establish churches in the early centuries, um, of the, early, the first century of the church. And when he came to Corinth, he, he started this church on the gospel and then they started to veer away from it. And so he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul, that was his mantra. I want to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So I thought maybe that's where we'd start um, as a month for the church, going to Christ crucified, spending our time looking at that weird and glorious and inglorious message of the cross of Christ. It's so easy to move on from the cross, and so I wanted us to start there and stay there and plant our flag there. Um, and today, the sermon title is we, well, last week was we preach Christ crucified. This week is we glorify Christ crucified, if you're taking notes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations with a young kid, maybe six, seven, eight years old, and you ask them to do something and they reply to you with, why? And then you give them a reason, they come back with another why, and you get into this cycle of why, why, and you say, well, just do it because I told you to do it. And they go, why? And you're like, oh, and you can't beat them. It's this kind of frustrating experience. You've ever had that um, yeah, 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 the parents in the room. It's, it's frustrating, and it is kind of hard because once you get in that loop, you sort of find like, well, I don't know why, just, just do it. Just don't ask me for reasons, don't ask me for those deep questions. I don't have a great reason. I told you to do it, just do it. 
And we don't sort of graduate from that kind of question of why, am I, why should I bother doing this? I mean, it's a good question from a kid in a sense. It's like, why should I do this? What's the point? I've got many other great things I could be doing. <laughs> why should I do what you're asking me to do? Uh, but then we, we go through life and we go through school and we kind of suppress the question of why in general. Like we, we, we don't really want to think about it because it is a bit existential. It takes a lot of energy to think through until we get to those big crossroads. So you finish high school and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? Why, what, what, what university course should I choose or, or what job should I take? And then you kind of choose something and you do it for a while and then slowly that question of why comes back again. But then you suppress it and you just get into the rhythm of things. And, but it's only when you get to those crossroads that you kind of have to ask that question again. Why? <laughs> and it kind of comes back an annoying question. It can make people spin out and start to think, what is the purpose and meaning of life? What are we here for? Why do we exist? And when it comes to the planting of a new church, I was faced with that question. Why do it? You know, why are we here in this room when, you know, for us, we had a great church just 20 minutes up the road in Warunga. It was awesome. We love that church. Why bother with all the effort starting this church here in Parramatta? Last week, we answered that question by saying, like, what are we here to do? We've got one job, to preach Christ crucified. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. So that's our job, but why do it? What's the ultimate purpose, the ultimate reason for doing this? Now, there's many other reasons why we do it. We do it to, to save people so that people can come from death to life. We do it to help people's marriages, to help people's parenting, to help people's life with Christ. We do it to serve people, to bless the poor, to, to bless the outcast, to bring community. There's lots of answers. Why do we do church? But there's only one ultimate answer, and we see it in our text this morning. The ultimate reason why we've done this, the ultimate purpose of this church, and indeed every Christian, and actually every single human being is this. It's quite a bold claim. I'm going to tell you the purpose and meaning of life. It's this. We exist to make much of Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord. That's it. We're done for the sermon. <laughs> you can go home now. I've told you the purpose and meaning of life. But you, you might think, oh, well, how do we know that that's true? We exist to make much of Jesus. Really? Is that the real meaning of life? Well, we're going to look through Paul's little section in Philippians 2 today to kind of see that it's not just my idea. It actually comes from the Bible itself. It's actually the storyline of the whole Bible. Um, and so let's jump in, and we're going to have three points today, Christ crucified, Christ glorified, and our opportunity. And it's all going to be unpacking this idea of why are we doing this? Well, we exist to make much of Jesus. That's all in a little compact section. So let's go to point number one, Christ crucified. You see, we're in this text today called Philippians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi in, in Macedonia, Europe. It's the gospel first went out of the kind of African Middle East area into Europe through Philippi. And in this church, um, they had come to believe in Jesus Christ and they'd come to follow him as their Lord and Savior. And so years later, Paul is in prison, and he's writing to them to encourage them to keep going in their Christian faith and to sort out some issues in the church. One of the issues in the church was there's, there's some disunity, and people needed to serve one another. And so Paul starts exhorting them in, in the first part of chapter 2 to, to serve and to look to the interests of others. 
But in order to do that exhortation, he gives them this example. He he tells them, have this mind, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, if you want to live the Christian life, here's what you do. Look to Jesus Christ. But then Paul goes on from verse 5 and gives the most wondrous story and simplest, most profound explanation of who Jesus is and what he came to do and the purpose of it all. And so in, in the mix of Paul trying to teach this church, he breaks out into this epic piece of theology, and that's where we're going to study today is those verses 6 through 11. And Paul takes us on a journey of Jesus' story from the heights of heaven to the depths of hell, so to speak, and then back up again. So we're just going to sit in that story a bit today and see how that impacts us. So let's look at Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 6. This is all his story. So verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul starts this journey with Jesus in heaven. That Jesus is, is not just some guy that rose up in, in you know, Jerusalem and said, hey, I'm actually really special. He began in heaven. He's always been God. He's, he's always been equal with God in glory and grace and power. Yet though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What Paul's saying there is that he didn't stay in heaven. He didn't keep it to his own advantage to stay in heaven. But out of love, he's going to do something crazy. He's going to do something, you know, that will change the world. John chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 says it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus is this word. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's an incredible statement of who Jesus really is. It's it's easy to kind of get caught up in, you know, cultural depictions. You know, if you watch too much South Park or Family Guy or Simpsons or whatever, Jesus is like a joke, really, in those shows. They never present him like this. But the Bible presents Jesus as the eternal God, full of godness. He he lacks nothing of godness. And and he comes to us. Verse 7, this is what happens. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, he was reigning for all eternity as God, and yet he comes. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to become a human being. We've heard it so many times, Jesus is the Son of God, but it's probably the most profound miracle in all the Bible, that the eternal, infinite God could take on flesh and blood and bones and hair and be born into the world as a little baby. He descends from the heights of heaven to the depths of a stable. It's the Christmas story that we often pass over so quickly because it's so cute. But God becomes a man. How does that happen? And Paul is trying to describe this incredible journey down from heaven down to us. It would be sort of comparable to like if you or I were to become to wake up tomorrow as a rat. 
you know. I mean, it doesn't quite do it justice, but from the heights of being a, a human adult male or female to waking up as a rat. Like, no one likes rats. They're disgusting. But that, that's kind of like the journey that Jesus takes from all the power in the universe to being constrained into a little baby's body. And not only that, but he takes the form of a servant, a slave. It's riches to rags, not the other way around. He doesn't come in a Rolls Royce and, you know, as king of the world. He comes as a little pathetic baby. Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus lived his entire life on earth in perfect obedience to the Father. All the law of God, that we, if you know any of the, the scriptures about the law of God, he obeys every single one in the fullest sense. Honor your father and mother, check. <laughs> do not commit adultery, check. Do not lie, do not covet. All the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus embodied all of that, lived in perfect obedience. But God had a bigger plan for him too. It wasn't just to obey and live the perfect life and then for himself to go back to heaven and say, look, I did it. But God's plan for Jesus was for him to come all the way into perfect obedience so that he could get something done. And the thing that God wanted Jesus to get done was his death and his death on a cross. You see, God had a plan for Jesus and God's plan for Jesus was John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son to save the world. And so Jesus was obedient all the way unto death, even death on a cross. The cross is inglorious and offensive. We lose it because we often have, you know, nice crosses tattooed or they're pretty on the church buildings. I don't know if there's one. Oh, there's one on there, but there's not too many around in this school. But the cross, we kind of lose the sense of the, the horror of it. We lose just how humiliating the crucifixion was for Christ. You know, if you've ever seen an old black and white photo of an African-American man being hung, lynched, with the Ku Klux Klan surrounding him, that's the, that's the sort of image that was conjured up by the cross in Jesus' day. You couldn't go lower than that. More shameful, more degrading, more unjust. You see, Paul takes us all the way from the heights of heaven to the depth of hell on the cross, and he makes very explicit, not only was Jesus obedient to death, but even on a cross. He wants the Philippians to see this inglorious death. He wants them to know that God came down for them, but actually more than that. Jesus came down from heaven because of them. And that's why the cross, we have to keep bringing it back into the center because we always want to pass over it. Because the cross is not just what God did for us, it's what God did because of us. Because we were so sinful, because we were so rebellious, because we had messed up so bad, God had to die in such an inglorious way. From the heights of heaven to the depths of hell. 
And so Paul is building this story because he's, you know, it's sort of like in any good story, you've got the, you know, the introduction and then the complication and then there's, you know, a real big problem and then there's a climax and then resolution. Well, here we are at the big complication. How somehow this God has died in a humiliating way because of the sins of the people. But Paul doesn't end the story there. This is point number two. Well, point number one was Christ crucified. Point number two, Christ glorified. And this is really the crux of what we're here to talk about this morning. Verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus did not remain on that cross. Jesus was taken down and buried, and three days later, God rose him from the grave with a new, glorious, resurrected body. And in that, God was saying, I accept your sacrifice. What you have done has paid for the sins of the entire world. God didn't leave him to die. If Jesus was just a random preacher who had a big message and, you know, had all these followers and then utterly failed, then he would have stayed in the grave. But the resurrection is God saying, yes, I accept your obedience and your death on the behalf of the world. And so God highly exalts him. Not only does he raise him from the dead, but then 40 days later, God ascends Jesus into heaven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus right now, it's hard to wrap your head around this, Jesus, the crucified, risen Savior, is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over this room over the person next to you, over everything happening right here. That, that's what's going on. And so Paul takes this journey down and then shoots him back up to say, this Christ crucified is now Christ glorified. The cross was there so that God could glorify his son, Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, we see the love of God made manifest. We see the greatest expression of love that God would lay down his very own life to save someone like you and I. We see grace magnified at the cross. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves, yet he came for us and gives life freely. God exalts him and bestows upon him the name that is above every name. There's no higher name than to be called Lord, and that's who we're going to see Jesus is called. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul is now painting a picture of the end of the world. One day, there'll be a day when this glorified, crucified man returns and the whole earth will bow the knee before him. This is a picture of just how glorious Jesus must be. Who else would God give this privilege to other than the most exalted and glorified person in creation, Jesus Christ himself? You see, in Jesus' obedience and death, he now is glorified in the rest of his life and the rest of his time. Though he wasn't seen as glorious on earth, he will be by everyone, everywhere, no matter their culture, no matter their background. No matter the rich or the poor, the loved or the unloved, the cool, the uncool, everyone in this moment will touch the dirt on their knees and and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Philippians 2.11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there's coming a time when everyone in Parramatta, everyone in Northmead and Toon Gabby and, I don't know, Oatlands and um, Stanhope Gardens and Kings Langley and outside of Sydney, out to Toowoomba, all the way down the south coast, all over Australia, every nation in the world, when they see Jesus descend from heaven, they will involuntarily drop to their knees and confess, you are Lord. And the whole point of all of this is what Paul says at the end of this verse, to the glory of God the Father. You see, the reason God sent Jesus into the world, the plan was to magnify his son to the glory of his name. You see, God sent Jesus so that we, all the earth, would gather and bow the knee before him and enjoy Jesus Christ forever to the glory of God the Father. There's no competition between God and Jesus. They support and promote one another, you know, and and that's God's plan. And so that actually informs the purpose of our entire life. It's actually the point of all of human history. It's the point of the story of the universe that for now and forever, Jesus Christ will be highly exalted everywhere, in every place, in every tongue, in every heart, whether they love him or not. So why do we exist as a church? What are we trying to do as a church? Well, we're joining into this story. That, that's, that's the purpose of our life. It's actually not that difficult. When, you, when you're stuck and think, what am I meant to do with my life? Well, be informed by this story. That's why Paul tells it. It's not about you, ultimately. Your life and our lives are not about us. They're about him. They're about making much of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening at the end of the world. That's what's going to happen for all eternity. See, there's many things, good things we can do in church. We can sing great songs. We can have a great kids program. We can have awesome coffee. We can hang out, good community and friendship. But the one thing we need to do, the reason we do all of that is to make much of Jesus, is to point each other to how great Jesus is, is to make him our song and our story, to make him the highlight of our week. That glorifies him. God is glorified by having Christ magnified, enjoyed and worshipped. We see it in this text. Therefore, because of the cross, because of the obedience of Christ, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. That's the point. It's the point of the cross. It's the point of the whole world. And it's actually not just in this text. It's in many other texts in the Bible. And I just wanted to show you a few to show you this dynamic to kind of help paint out the rest of the canvas a little bit, Um, to help just let the Word of God sink in and reorient us. Because isn't it so easy to just get distracted with life? We get caught up in our work and our jobs, our careers, our decisions, our romances, our, our food, all these things. And we're like, what am I meant to be doing? I don't know what I'm meant to do. Well, here's what the Bible is telling us today. One simple thing. Do everything to make much of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. If you do that, you're on track. You don't need to worry about the rest of the things. <laughs> well, you do need to worry because it matters. But it helps you to have that discerning purpose. So here's a few other texts to show us. 
1 Peter 4.11 says this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the pattern. In order that in everything God may be glorified, how? Through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul is talking about how people get, you know, you, you preach the gospel and people don't really understand. Well, this is what's happening. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul's saying here is, God's purpose in the world is to open people's eyes to see his glory. And how do they see it? In the face of Jesus Christ. John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's himself. So Jesus will be the judge of everyone. So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You cannot glorify God without glorifying Jesus. You cannot say that God will not be pleased with your life if you live a life for God but have nothing to do with Jesus. You must honor the Son to honor the Father. That's God's plan in the world. Even the Spirit is involved in this. John 16, 14 says, and I, I forgot to put it in my notes, but it says, He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit who lives and breathes in all of us, breathes in, that doesn't make sense, who lives in all of us, dwells in all of us, his job is to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus' spirit is doing in us. And then Paul, final verse, Philippians 1.20. This is his, like, his mission statement for his life. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. God's plan for the world and for his glory is that we make much of Jesus Christ with our life and with our death, with our church with our work, with our relationships, with our family, with our credit cards, with our purchasing, with our friendships, with our sport, with everything, the all-consuming passion of our life and controlling purpose is this, make much of Jesus to the glory of God. So why do we exist as a church? To glorify Jesus Christ crucified, to make much of him. That's all we're trying to do. It's nothing too simple, uh, nothing too complex or crazy. It's pretty simple. So if that's our great purpose, you know, if the scriptures, that's what it's calling us to do. How do we go about doing that? 
You know, if, you, if you're a believer in Christ, you want to do this. You want Jesus to be famous in the world. You want Jesus to be glorified in your life. So how do we go about doing it? Well, that's point three, our wonderful opportunity. I want to apply this in two simple ways um, from our text. Uh, and, and these are not, you know, I'm not, we've got to keep in mind, Jesus died in our place for our sins to set us free to live for him. So this is not what you have to do to get saved. This is what you do once you're already saved, you now get to do this. So that's why I put it as our opportunity. So if you love Jesus, now this is what you get to do. So two ways to apply, serve and spread. Firstly, serve. The whole context of this passage is Paul encouraging the Philippian Christians to serve one another. And so it would be, I think, a failure of this sermon not to return there and actually make that um, one of the application points. You see, we make much of Jesus in our life by copying him and being like him. I've got a a, a four-year-old son, Jasper, and he... um, you know, he, he loves his dad, which is nice. Uh, and, but whenever I get dressed into something, even if he's already dressed, he'll go back to his wardrobe and change and copy exactly what I'm wearing as best as he can. Because when you love someone and value someone and think they're cool, because he thinks I'm cool, but I, I'm actually just trying to be as cool as him, but he doesn't know that yet. And when you love someone, you start to copy them. You start to become like them. And in fact, when you copy someone and, and become like them, you actually, in a, in a way, you honour them and give glory to them. And it's the same with us. One of the ways in which we honour Christ the best is by copying him and being like him. And that's Paul's argument here in Philippians 2. He's saying, serve like Jesus. Be humble like Jesus. Become, have the mind of Christ. I'm going to read to you Philippians 2 and give you the whole context to inform your life here. Verse 3, he's saying, church, this is what you're to do. Serve. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Paul is saying here is this. Humble yourself like Christ and you will glorify Christ. Become like him as you put others before yourself, as you serve your family and your kids and your friends and you, and you, you give up your time, your money, your effort, your energy and you consider there's others more significant than yourselves. You make much of Jesus. You say, Jesus, you are incredible by humble little acts of service. It's a great opportunity that we have in the everyday to make much of Jesus, to say, my life is not my own. I'm bought by a price. Now I'm going to live for him. Secondly, second way from this passage that we can go about making much of Jesus is to spread his name, to spread the knowledge of him wherever we go. That's kind of the grand sweeping purpose of this chapter, Uh, the, The last section of these verses in verse 9 to 11. 
We're going to read it again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We get to join in in helping make that happen now so that on that last day, more and more people will bend the knee out of glad worship rather than fear of judgment. Because everyone will surely bend the knee. No one can avoid this. But we have an opportunity now to go out and tell other people of the love of Christ, of the glory of Christ, of his saving grace, so that when Jesus returns one day, they will bend the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is Jesus' plan. In Matthew 28, 18, we see this same thing again, the glory and exaltation of Jesus and then the spread of his name. This is after he's died, resurrected, he's just about to ascend into heaven. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty bold thing to say. <laughs> I never say that to my kids. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Clean your room. But that's what Jesus says because of what God, he has highly exalted him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We make much of Jesus now by spreading the fame of his name wherever we go. In fact, if those words, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Paul didn't make them up. They come from the Old Testament. They come from a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 5. And the, the first verses before where it says to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, this is what God is saying to the nations. He says, Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. See, what God is doing in the world is he's pleading with the world, turn to me and be saved. And if you um, aren't yet a follower of Jesus Christ, this is where you stand. This is your opportunity you can turn to him and be saved today so that one day you will bend the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then you live for the rest of your days exalting him and enjoying him. This is your opportunity. And this is our opportunity to spread this message wherever we go. Why do we exist as a church? What are we here to do? There's lots of things, but one great ultimate purpose to make much of Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord. If we do that, if we focus on that, we'll be, doing, we'll be sweet, we'll be doing well, no matter what happens, no matter the success or the failure, no matter you know, how many people come or don't, no matter if the kids program, well, hopefully nothing happens to the kids program because that's our little precious ones, but you know, the coffee machine breaks down, whatever happens, if we make it our goal to make much of him, we're sweet. Because we're joining in to the theme of God's story from the beginning of the world to all creation. We exist to glorify 
Christ crucified. And that is what we're going to be doing for all eternity. I want to end by filling our minds with heaven. I'm going to end by peeling back what's actually going to happen for all eternity in heaven. You see, this theme that God is highly exalted doesn't just end here on earth. It's not like every knee bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, boom, we're done, and then heaven is just something completely different. We're going to peek into heaven, and then, then we're going to sing a beautiful song called Jesus, There's No One Like You, and, and declare to him how great he really is. So join in with me as we read and see what is going on for all of eternity. You may want to close your eyes and just imagine this sight. This is the Apostle John being given a vision from God of something what the end of the world would look like. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, it's Jesus, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. That's God. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We're going to start the song now. Our song of our lives is to make much of Jesus, to join this chorus of heaven as they worship the Lamb who was slain in our place for our sins. Would you pray with me and then stand and sing? God, we thank you that in your wisdom and judgment and plan, you included us and our salvation. We don't deserve it. In fact, it's because of us because of our sin that Christ came from heaven's throne to the depths of this earth. It's because of my sin, our sin. And so God, we thank you that in Christ we have salvation. We thank you that he was slain in our place for our sins so that we can become the people of God. We thank you that 
we have you through Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would use this little church and our little lives to start singing that song of the glory of your son. Lord, would you be pleased to use us to make much of you in this world? So much promotion that happens in the world of brands and celebrities and sports stars and so many things we get excited about, Lord, but would the overarching thing over our life be this? We love you and we want to spread you wherever we go. But Lord, we are aware we can't do this on our own. We need your spirit to fill us and give us grace. So God, I ask that you would empower us to do this for your glory, for your name, the name above all names. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.